morning. So good to see all of you as uh, we gather together on another Lord's Day. We're so thankful for the kindness of God that gives us this day as part of our weekly rhythm every week. No better place, no better way to start our week than gathered together here uh, to praise, to magnify, to hear from God's Word, to lift up His holy name. So glad you guys are here with us. Listen, a handful of things to make you aware of. By way of announcement, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, and we're moving this meeting here into the sanctuary. I think the coffee shop's not going to be able to kind of hold us. So we're going to meet here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock. Informational meeting uh, regarding this coming summer's trip to Guatemala City, Guatemala. We'll be going and serving with Hope for Tomorrow Children's Home. We'd love for it to have you here this afternoon at 4. You don't have to commit to anything today. You don't have to give any money today. You don't have to sign anything today. You're just simply coming to grab some information, ask questions, so that you can begin thinking about and praying toward um, this summer's trip. So that's this afternoon at 4 o'clock. For all of our senior adults, if you've not gotten this memo, coming up on uh, uh, February the 13th at 1130, just over in the gym, we'll be having kind of our first, uh, first senior adult lunch that day. So you can Get signed up through that in your Sunday school classes. I think there's a sign-up sheet on, on the way out. Um, we're asking you guys to bring, like, soup that day. We'll provide some sandwiches, drinks, all that. Just a great time of fellowship. Hope you can be a part of that. Uh, if you are new with us, uh, if you've been maybe visiting over the last several weeks, maybe you are interested in learning more about the life of the church and becoming a member at Faith Family Fellowship, we would love to invite you to sign up for our Body Life class, which is our new members class. Uh, if you receive our newsletter through email, there's a link in that email that you can sign up in there. If not, there are sign-up sheets on the tables as you make your way out the doors. Uh, we'd love to get you signed up for that, and then we'll be in contact about what you need to do beyond that. And then the last announcement is coming up on Sunday, February the 12th at 5 o'clock over in The Rock. Um, we're going to be having a, just a, an informational meeting regarding children's and, uh, and youth camps. So if you are interested in knowing more about that and helping serve in that capacity with Pastor Matthew, uh, please be a part of that meeting February the 12th at 5 o'clock. All right, so a lot of activity going on in the life of our dear body. So good to see you guys here again as we come to worship this morning. Let me pray for us as we prepare to worship together. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us this day. Father, this is the day that you have made. Father, were it to be uh, gray and rainy and cold outside, Father, we would still rejoice. God, because it is the day that you have ordained for us. God, you have woven this Lord's Day into the very fabric of our lives, into the rhythms of our lives. And God, we are so thankful to be able to gather. Lord, we come to hear from you. God, among everything else that will happen in this place on this day, God, first and chief among them, God, is that we come to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray as, as we, God, as we sing and as we hear from your word and, God, as we experience together all the graces that you intend for us on this day, Father, may it be foremost in our hearts and minds, God, that we need to hear from you. And then, Father, that we give ourselves willingly to your word. God, you are speaking to us today through the power and the sufficiency of your word. So, God, I pray that we would be those who come uh, to listen. God, those who come to give you the worth, 
true worship, God, that you are so rightly due. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. God, thank you that you are near to us now. God, that you are, in fact, with us. God, all praise and honor and glory to your great name. Through Christ we pray it. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we open and worship to, to worship our living God. Let's stand. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ, hallelujah, Jesus is my Be my only boasting. 
brightest our hope in life and death. And oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Would you take God's word and join me in Hebrews chapter 2 this morning? Hebrews chapter 2 for our scripture reading. If you are able to remain standing, please do so. In the book of Hebrews, we are finding out one glorious central reality, and and I think it can be summed up in about three words, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's essentially the theme of Hebrews, and as you're making your way through this letter to these Jewish Christians who are being tempted to walk away from the gospel and to go back to the old way of doing things. The author of Hebrews is saying repeatedly, no, don't go back, don't drift away. Jesus is better. And we saw last week in chapter 1 that God has spoken through His Son, Jesus. And now in chapter 2 this morning, all things are subjected to Him under His Lordship, rule, and reign. And though... For a brief moment, Christ was humbled. He, was, he died. He is risen again. And it is through Christ as our advocate that we find help in our time of need. Hebrews chapter 2, let's read together. And as we read, we ask and pray that God would take this eternal truth and then he would write it upon our hearts. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, He left nothing that is not subject to Him, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to Him. But we do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for Him for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, 
I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil and might free those who were through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Beloved, would you be seated? And as you do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, this morning as... We come to your word. Father, we come to behold your glory and your beauty. God, we come to behold who you are. Father, we come to lay aside our ideas of who you are. And Father, we come to the truth of your word which instructs us, God, in who you are and what you are like and how you move and how you act. Father, as we come to your word, We come face to face with the Word who's made flesh and dwelt among us. Father, we come face to face with Christ. Father, we come and we see in Christ who came, who became flesh and blood, who humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Father, we come and we see in Christ one who has suffered in all things, one who has been tempted in all things without sin, so that he might come to the aid of those, us, who are tempted. God, in light just of these few truths in this one chapter of your word, God, we have infinite reasons to praise, to worship, and to set our gaze upon Christ this day. So, God, I do pray for the one in the room who finds themselves, God, they're they're weak. They find themselves maybe in a, just a real protracted season of temptation. God, I pray for the one who in their spirit, God, they just think it would be easier to to give up and not follow after the way of Christ and its demand. Oh God, I pray that in Christ they would find today a help by the Spirit in them, oh God, that they would find help in their time of need. God, that they would find help in their weakness and in their temptation. 
God, help us to remember that in Christ we have been set free from the slavery to fear and death. God, help us to remember that in Christ, God, He is not ashamed to call us brethren. God, that in Christ, we stand complete and whole, O God, in Your presence. God, that is one not by our merit, not by our good deeds, not by our attendance here this morning. It is one by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So God, help us to conform our worship to these understandings. God, to respond accordingly to your word based out off of these truths. Lord, I pray for your people today. God, I pray for those in the room that don't know Christ today. They know, God, that they are lost. They know that they are undone. They know that they, God, have no ability to stand against temptation and sin. God, I pray that they would look to Christ. Find their salvation in Him alone. God, continue to move and to work in our hearts so that we would behold your greatness, your worth. Then, O oh God, that we would delight to walk in obedience to you, make you known. God, I pray that this would be a great day of just edification and building up of life, a faith family. God, all that to your praise, your honor, and your glory by your Spirit's work in us. According to Christ our Lord, we ask and pray these things. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my cleansing is my plea Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as stone. No other fount I know. 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as stone No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as stone No Church family, this next song is one that many of us know uh, before the throne of God above. But there's a little added chorus uh, that just, it's a moment of praising our God, singing hallelujah. And so let's sing that chorus together a couple times real quick. And hallelujah, Son, risen Son of God, and hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one risen Son of God. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can tell me to depart. No tongue can tell me to depart. When Satan tempts me to despair, Tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see Him there Who made an end to all my sin Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me to look on him and pardon me and hallelujah hallelujah praise the one risen son 
unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior God, with Christ my Savior my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the one risen Son of God. Hallelujah. this month, uh, a little shorter than last month, and as we have been singing today, this verse hopefully will, will hone us into viewing how glorious God is, in that He has gloriously provided for us what we could not do, and that we, incapable of righting our wrongs and providing forgiveness for our sins, Christ came. To give himself. And so Jeremiah 17, 7 is what we're going to memorize this month. It's very short. But as we look at it over this, this over February, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. Because the whole chapter is it's a comparison. It's a comparison of who do we trust? Do we trust in ourselves and other people? Or do we trust in the God of the universe, the great God who has provided for our greatest need, our spiritual separation from our Creator and the death and destruction that our sin produces? And so let's recite this verse once, look at one word, and then we'll pray. All right, so out loud, repeat with me. This one verse in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7. So just before this, we hear of a curse. The Lord says, cursed is 
the man who trusts in mankind, who makes flesh his strength. And so then we have blessed, a blessing, the opposite of the curse, is that if our faith and dependence is upon ourself or other people, there is a curse upon us. Meaning that if our hope ends in us, our hope will end. But blessed, good, right, is the one who trusts in the Lord. Points back to Psalm 1 of the one who trusts in God through His Word, who meditates on His Word day and night, who listens to Him, that God has planted him like a tree beside a stream, that regardless of the situation, regardless of the drought in circumstance, God provides and bears fruit through that person. Trust in the Lord. So I hope this morning, if you believe in Christ, you would be, you would be restored in that, filled with the life and spirit of the Lord, and if not, that you would see him and recognize that you would trust not in yourself or in other things, but in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you give us clear warning, clear warning that before you, if our trust and faith and hope is in ourselves or in other people, that God, before you, we are in, in a curse. And that I thank you, Lord, that your law has summed up all underneath the curse of failure according to your law, and that therefore you can issue grace in Christ. That just as one man brought about sin and destruction, one man, Christ the Lord, has brought about life. And so, Father, would you help us this morning? May we recognize in our own hearts and our own lives where, where we are trusting, where we do trust, Lord, in ourselves or in others. In a human answer to an eternal spiritual problem. And that, God, we would recognize that. You would draw us to faith. You would draw us, God, to repentance. To trust fully in your Son, Jesus. Perhaps, Lord, this morning there are some who who that would be the first time to come into repentance and faith. God, would you, would you lead them there? Would you lead them, God, and call them this morning that, Lord, they would come into a blessed relationship with you because of Christ, because of what he has done on their behalf, and they would trust and have life that would spring and well up into eternal life. So, Father, would you help us this morning? Speak to us. Lord, draw our hearts and minds to you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. And church family, if you would, would you take God's word and join me in Matthew chapter 4. This morning, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at the first four verses. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. While in a room this size with this many people, we, we all, we're, we're, it's a room filled with, with people who have all come from different places, different backgrounds, different life experiences. There's a lot about us that is, is different, even as we look around the room. But there is one common experience uh, to us all. There, there is one, at least one, reality that is true for us all. It really is the common human experience, and that is the dealing 
with the ongoing, seemingly daily temptation to sin. We think about our lives, we think about our days, we, we think about all of the moments in those days. We, we think about the way that we interact with things that happen to us, of those that pop into our office or into our lives, the, the circumstances that, that take place. And we understand that in just the daily workings of our life, that there are just these ongoing temptations to respond, to think, to act, to live sinfully. We know that by the reading of of God's Word, uh, we come across those men and women of the faith, those throughout Scripture, and we find that in them uh, there is this ongoing fight, this ongoing present reality of their own temptation to sin. Sometimes in Scripture we see them bearing up underneath the weight of that temptation and having victory, if you will, over sin. But then there are other, uh, other moments when we read through the Scriptures and we find that they do not bear up underneath that temptation, that they do fulfill the sinful desires and they sin against the Lord. And as we think about temptation as that being the common experience for everyone, as we think about maybe even the moments that we were tempted to sin this morning after waking up and maybe even driving here to this building, as we consider that ongoing reality of temptation, I think that there's also then a pretty common question that arises in the acknowledgement of temptation. And it's a question somewhere along the lines of this, how do I fight against this temptation to sin? How do I deal with that? How do I stand against the temptation and honor the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? How can I get to a place where I do not give in to the sin that so easily entangles us, as Hebrews 12.1 says? How can I rightly fight against the devil without and the devil within? And I say it that way because as Scripture reveals to us this morning, there is most certainly a, a, a devil who is a tempter from without. But according to God's Word in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, there is also, if you will, a devil within. Because James tells us that each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. We are beset from without and from within with these daily temptations to dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ and to fulfill the sinful desires of our hearts. And so how? How do we fight against such a present even dark reality in our souls. Beloved, the answer to that question and to questions like that, I think is very simple. And the answer is we look to Jesus. We look to Christ. We look to who He is. We look to what He has done in our fight against temptation. We look to who Jesus is as the perfect God-man who perfectly resisted every temptation. 
And when we look to him, what will we find about him in that moment? We will find that as we read in Hebrews 2 earlier, he is in fact our sympathetic high priest who knows all of our tempting weaknesses and is able to draw near and to help us in our times of temptation. Also, when we look to Christ, we see in a place like Matthew 4, how did he resist temptation? When it came to him, how did he fight in such a way that left him honoring and obeying his heavenly Father? And as we think about the answer to that question, how did Jesus do it? I don't think our answer needs to be, well, he's God, that's how he did it. To be sure, he is God, but also to be sure, he is fully man. And when we see in Matthew 4, Jesus coming against these temptations offered to him by Satan himself, how do we see Jesus fight? Beloved, we see him fight according to the power of the word of God. And so as we're thinking about our temptations, what do we do? We look to Christ. In last week's text, you recall at the end of chapter 3, we saw the public baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ at the onset of his public ministry. And then, lest we think, lest we think that the Christian life is all daffodils and rainbows, we turn to Matthew chapter 4, and we find that immediately, Jesus is led by the Spirit into a season of fasting and praying and hunger and a very real pointed season of temptation from the devil himself. In the path of Christ-exalting, living and obedient church, there are going to be seasons of testing from God and temptation from the enemy outside and the enemy within. It will not always be 75 and sunny. I wish it were that way. And beloved, one day we go to an eternal land where we will never deal with sin or temptation. It will be destroyed as we sang together earlier. But that day is not yet, and so we must know how to bear up under the temptation that you are facing maybe even in this very moment. And so as we set our eyes on Christ in this, I want us to see together three truths regarding temptation, how we think about this, how we deal with it. And as we look at these truths, may our eyes be on Christ. We fight against our own temptations to sin. Look at the text with me. Matthew chapter 4, read verses 1 to 4 with me. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. A familiar text to many of you. An immensely helpful, practical text to all of us this morning. Three truths 
the first truth is this, that there is a devil who tempts, but the Spirit, hope in this church, that the Spirit leads through that temptation. To be sure, there is a devil who tempts, but the Spirit leads through that temptation. Verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. If you read this account from Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1 and verse 12, Mark uses the language that immediately, kind of a favorite word of Mark's anyway, and he applies it here in this moment. Jesus comes out of the Jordan River, still dripping wet is the sense that we get, and immediately, no delay, immediately is led. Mark uses the word in Mark 1.12 that he is impelled by the Spirit. He is, in a sense, very much uh, led or, or even maybe pushed into the Judean wilderness for a season, communing with God first, but then also, verse 1 tells us, to be tempted by the devil. We read here in verse 1 that Jesus is led by the Spirit in this moment. He is led by the Spirit. Though he be fully God, he is also fully man. And while here on earth, as he is conducting his ministry, as as he is seeking to do the will of God, we read that he is in in all seasons, in all things, he is led by God's Spirit. Now even to be tempted by the devil. But notice carefully the language here. Notice carefully the language in verse 1. It does not say that Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the Spirit. This is an important distinction, I think, that we need to make. And we make this distinction because of a place like James chapter 1 and verse 13. When it tells us, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Though Jesus is led by the Spirit into this season of temptation, it's an important distinction to make that he is not being tempted by the Spirit. In fact, just the opposite is true. He is being led and helped, as we'll see throughout the text, by God's Spirit. In verse 1, he goes out to be tempted by the devil. What does that word tempted mean? Whenever we hear that word, we immediately think of that word in a negative light, in a negative connotation. We always think of it in the context of tempted to sin. That's certainly the context that's being used here in verse 1. That, the, the word tempted, though, is actually a, a pretty neutral word that means to try or to prove or to test. And depending on the context, we begin to understand what it is that we're trying to prove. And what this word does is it shows us that the goal in this testing is to reveal whether the thing or the person being tested is good or bad. Now, clearly, in this context of verse 1, with it being the devil who is doing the tempting, the goal that Satan has in mind is to try to prove that Jesus is not God's beloved son. 
that he is not who God has said that he is. That Jesus is not the long-awaited Messiah, Redeemer, and hope for his people. Satan's goal is to tempt, with Jesus giving into that temptation to completely unravel and undo God's glorious plan of redemption. However, what God intends, by the Spirit's leading in verse 1, what God intends is to prove that Jesus is, in fact, who he just said he was in chapter 3, verse 17, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Church, just to set the reality in verse 1 for us, verse 1 reveals that there is a very real devil who operates in this world system to tempt and to destroy. The devil hates God. The devil hates the people of God. The devil hates the good news of the gospel of God. Everything that is good, Satan hates that. And through the evil of sin, which Satan is the father of, in our own hearts or in the world around us, he seeks to influence, again, to tempt and to destroy. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 tells us that the devil moves about the heavenly places and has great influence upon the world's culture, the world's philosophy, the world values. And through the evil of sin perpetuated through a godless culture, Satan moves to tempt, to destroy, to call people to disobey God, to rely on themselves. Beloved, there's a real devil, a real temptation. There is a real sin. We must take these realities seriously. But as we consider the seriousness, even the darkness of these realities, we do not despair. We, in fact, have hope in the midst of these realities because even though there is a devil who tempts, there is also a Spirit, verse 1, the Holy Spirit of God who leads us who guides us through those seasons, those moments of temptation. And how does God's Spirit do that? We'll think about that a little more in verse 4. But let me just say that God leads us by His Spirit through these moments of temptation according to the living and the active Word of God. It is with the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6 and verse 16 that we fight against the devil and all his flaming darts. But then secondly, second truth regarding temptation is this. Know this, this is so important, church, that Satan's schemes in all of the history of the world, Satan's schemes have not changed. Satan's schemes have not changed. If we understand that his schemes have not changed, and that he does with Christ in Matthew 4, and with you today, what he's been doing since Genesis chapter 3, then that begins to really give shape and to help us in our understanding of how we fight against temptation. Look in verse 2. After he had fasted, 
40 days, 40 nights, he then became hungry. What does it mean that Jesus, out in the wilderness, that he fasted? The spiritual discipline of fasting is one that has fallen on hard times uh, somewhat lately. And what I mean by that is that we don't give a whole lot of consideration. We think a lot about the reading of the Bible, maybe the memorization of the Bible, prayer, uh, maybe other disciplines. But we think very little, I I think, of the discipline of fasting. And without bogging us down too much here, because this is not a sermon about fasting, let me just draw out a couple of things for us to help give shape to what fasting is and what's happening in verse 2. Fasting is a spiritual discipline of not eating food for the purpose of seeking after the Lord. Uh, Don Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says this, that fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Some of you are aware of how this works in Scripture, that there may be a, a season in which a person may go through in which they really sense that they need to, in, in clear and specific ways, they need to seek after the Lord, that they need to set aside more time in which they might commune with the Lord. And this discipline of fasting, and there are lots of ways to go about that process, but at the end of it, it's doing without, particularly food, and carving out moments that you might seek after the Lord in His Word and prayer. Every time our our stomach may rumble with hunger in the midst of fasting, we are compelled to look unto God, to seek after Him, to call out and cry out to Him for the answers that we seek from Him. Jesus goes at the outset of His ministry. A fantastic time. An appropriate time. To seek after the Lord diligently, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasts. It does not give us all the details here. Does that mean he ate absolutely nothing, drank absolutely nothing? We just don't know the details. But this is a season of doing without for spiritual purposes so that he might seek after the Lord. And then at the end of verse 2, we get what we feel like is probably a very obvious statement. That after 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. Might be one of the more obvious statements in all of Scripture, right? Like after about 40 minutes, some of us are hungry, right? But now 40 days and 40 nights, without any real sustenance, Jesus becomes hungry hungry. And in that, beloved, what do we see about Christ? We see his humanity on display, don't we? We read in Hebrews 2 earlier in the service that since the children share in flesh and blood, he partook of the same. And so Christ comes in full humanity, able to be hungry, to know what it is to have need that only God can fulfill. Christ, in his humanity, finds himself in a place of just physical weakness. You know how it is to go a time without eating or taking in any real sustenance. That affects your body. And now, in a season of weakness, 
the devil comes to him in verse 3 in this wilderness. And what does Satan say? The tempter came, said to him, if, if, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Here's what's remarkable about what Satan is saying in verse 3. Tempter, the deceiver, the accuser comes and says, if you are son of God. And if you'll just let your eyes fall back up to chapter 3 and verse 17, what did God, just 40 days earlier, what did God say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now, in the wilderness, Satan comes to Jesus, and what is he doing? He is tempting, he is trying and testing to get Jesus to doubt God and what God has already said. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly what the serpent does in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 1. Did God really say? And then he twists that you should not eat from any of the trees in the garden. Not what God said. God said what? Eat from all the trees. That's not that one. That one's mine. Don't eat from that one. Satan comes. And by the way, guys, Satan's schemes have not changed. He's a one-trick pony. He really is. And I think this is so helpful for us in understanding this reality. That the one temptation that he consistently offers is doubt God and doubt God's word. And if we can doubt the character of God and the word of God, then here's what we'll do. We'll take matters into our own hands. We'll take what is not ours. We'll command what is not ours to command. And we will rely on self instead of a loving, all-sufficient God. Knowing that Knowing this, beloved, this is going to help you in fighting against temptation. And knowing this is going to help you know how to fight against this temptation. So he comes to Christ. What does he say? Command that these stones become bread. What's at the heart of this? What's at the heart of this temptation? Same as it was in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, the heart of that temptation was God is not good. God is purposefully keeping something from you. God is not a good father. He is not a good provider. So then, you better take and eat and provide for yourself. It calls into question the character of God and the Word of God. And now in Matthew 4, verse 3, it's the same temptation. And do not miss the fact that they both center around food. And now, to slake 
the appetite of our belly, Satan comes. If, if you're the Son of God. Let's see. Let's see. For, forget what God said 40 days earlier. Let's try it out. If you are the Son of God, then you should have no problem looking at these stones and turning them into loaves of sustaining bread for your body. God is not good. He's letting you starve on this. God does not care about you. That's why there's no food for you. Take. Eat. Make the stones become bread. This temptation declares that there's something lacking with God, so you better take care of it yourself. You can almost hear Satan in this. You can almost hear him say, Jesus, think about it. God provided for those rebellious children of his as they wandered 40, day, 40 years out in the wilderness. But he won't even come to you in this 40-day season and feed you. What kind of God is that? He provided for those rebels out in the wilderness. He gave them manna every single morning. When they got tired of that, there were quail flying along, so they just knocked them down with sticks. And now, after 40 days, he's not taking care of you. You better take care of yourself. You know better. You know better. You're powerful. You're smart. You're here in this moment. You know what you need. Church, don't miss what this means for you and your temptation against sin. Every single solitary temptation that you're dealing with, that you dealt with this morning, that you'll deal with tomorrow morning, and 40 years from now, every temptation is a tempt to sin by calling out God's character and calling out God's ways and calling out God's word. Calling those things into question and seeking to prop you up as the God, little g, of your own life. It's at the heart of every single temptation you're facing. So as we look to move into verse 4, Charles Spurgeon said at this point that a true son will not doubt his father and undertake to provide his own bread. He will wait to be fed by his father's Satan's schemes have not changed. So then look thirdly then to verse 4 as we see Jesus respond to this. Here's the third truth regarding temptation. There is a better food than what temptation offers. There is a better food than what temptation offers. Jesus responds in verse 4. But he answered and said, in church, every word of this is important. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but on every word, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus is quoting, in fact, in all three of these temptations in Matthew 4, Jesus will quote the book of Deuteronomy centering around the people of Israel. When you get to Deuteronomy chapter 8, the people have wandered for 40 years. They are on the, uh, the border of the promised land, about to go in. Moses is going to give them again kind of the second reading of the law. To put that before them, before they go into the land of promise. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, pick up in verse 1 with me. All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply. And go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. That he might humble you. Testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry. And fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now Jesus, thousands of years later, the better son in his moment of temptation will perfectly resist in a way that the ancient Hebrews did not. And he will quote Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 in resisting this temptation to say that there is a better food that meets a more pressing need than just stones becoming bread. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does it mean that we live by the word of God? All throughout scripture, the Bible speaks about the nature of God's word and what it does. Places like Psalm 119, 103. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 10. Ezekiel chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. We could go on. All of those passages speak to the sweetness and the sustaining nature of the word of God. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 to 3 speaks to a better bread that comes from the mouth of God. John chapter 6 Verses 26 and 27, you remember the context. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And after that, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give you. 
And in this moment of wilderness temptation, Jesus is leaning on the ancient realities that there is a better food, and a more eternal food, lasting, more powerful, sufficient, and needed food than just merely bread that you will ingest, get a few nutrients from it, and then it's gone. That there is a food which proceeds from the heart and the mouth of God that gives us life and life eternal. In quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, Jesus points to the reality that our greatest hunger is spiritual, not physical. That our greatest need is spiritual and not physical. One commentator said, one will die physically without food and water, but one will die spiritually and be lost forever without salvation, which comes from the Word of God. Beloved, there is a better food than what temptation offers. And when the temptation to sin comes, it comes packaged in such a way that you and I believe that that thing that I'm being offered, that's the greatest need I have. And if I will give in to that, if I will do that, think that, believe that, say that, then that's what's going to fill up in me what is lacking. And Jesus is making abundantly clear, no, you have a greater need than what you see before your eyes or what you are being tempted by in your heart. Eat the better food. Eat the more eternal, sustaining power of God which comes through His Word. It's the Word that saves us. Hearing the Word of God brings salvation. Believing by faith what God has said in His Word gives us life. Beloved, in your moment of temptation, Satan's calling God and His Word into question. Believe in that moment that God and what He has said to us and commanded us in His Word, believe that that is better. It's better. And in His Word comes life. Temptation calls you to give up God's very best for a cheap imitation. And it calls you to forget your greatest need. Beloved, man does not live by bread alone. Do not spend your short years in this life. Do not waste this short, precious few years that you get trying to attain everything that the world offers. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose eternally your soul? No profit. No gain. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, friends, do not 
waste. Life. Things that don't matter. If you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, you've not turned from sin and turned to faith in Jesus, stop wasting the precious time that you have. You don't know how much more you get. Come, taste, and see that the Lord Christ is sufficient. That Jesus meets every single need. Let me make two final points of application for us. Then we'll be done. Two final points. As we're thinking about temptation, how we fight against this. Two final points. Number one. Did you notice what Jesus did in verse 4? Look at it again. Maybe also notice what Jesus doesn't do, at least not in this moment. There is some brand of teaching that has perpetuated itself for, I think, decades now in settings just like this, where we have been told that the way that we combat Satan temptation, the way that we do the Ephesians 6 spiritual warfare in the heavenly places is by using a phrase, kind of almost magical, like if you say this phrase, then you win. And the phrase is something like this, Satan, I rebuke you. In the name of Jesus, be gone. Then we look around hoping It is not insignificant in verse 4 that Jesus quotes Scripture in his temptation to sin. It's so significant, in fact, that if your way of dealing with temptation is to use your own words, Satan, be gone, you, you need to not do that anymore. Like ever again. Because it's not getting you anywhere, and you're not actually overcoming temptation and sin in that. Your word, my word, is not powerful enough, but there is a word that is. And it's not ours, it's God's. How do you fight your temptation to sin when you get home this afternoon, tomorrow, midweek when you're just done? How do you fight it? And how do you honor the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Don't rebuke Satan with your own words. Combat it with the word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon you have. So read it. Learn it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And in your moment of weakness, unsheath that thing and go to work on your sin. Go to work on it by coming at it with God's holy word. How does the Spirit lead us through temptation? it's It's not something magical or mystical. How does he do it? He does it by his word. That's how the Spirit leads us. In John chapter 14, and then also in chapter 16, Jesus is preaching to his disciples, essentially. 
the upper room discourse right before he is crucified. And he tells them that he's going to send the Spirit. And one of the just one of the things that he says about the work of the Spirit is that when the Spirit comes, he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. For what kind of moment, may we ask? For the kind of moment when you are tempted and tried so that you can resist the devil without and the devil within, your own heart that is deceitfully wicked, and that you might honor the Lord Jesus in your life. It's not a sermon in Matthew if I don't quote J.C. Ryle. So again, here is one among many reasons why we ought to be diligent readers of our Bibles. The Word is the sword of the Spirit. We shall never fight a good fight if we do not use it as our principal weapon. The word is the lamp for our feet. We shall never keep the king's highway to heaven if we do not journey by its light. It may well be feared that there is not enough Bible reading amongst us. It is not sufficient to have the book. We must actually read it and pray over it ourselves. It will do us no good if it only lies still in our houses. How do you fight it? You do so according to the word of God. And then secondly, lastly, point of application, that Jesus endured temptation perfectly, never gave in, never sinned. That Jesus resisted temptation and never sinned. Church, it means then that Jesus is our help. When we are being tempted. Jesus is the better Adam who doesn't take and eat. And by that merit, Jesus is able then to go to the cross and to die on the cross for our sins and then come to you with bread that eternally satisfies and says, here, take and eat. Jesus is our help in this church. If we want to rightly fight against temptation, we will look to Christ. Turn back to Hebrews and we'll end here. Hebrews chapter 2, we read this earlier. Just a reminder, and then three verses in Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 2, just to put all this together. Hebrews 2, look down to the very Last two verses, 17 and 18. He had, verse 17, to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become, what? A merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And then chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, he's one of us, church, one of us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, in light of that reality, do this, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. A confidence born and given by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Isn't that better than Satan? Get out of here. Isn't Jesus better? Run to Christ. Run to Christ. He is able to help. He wants to help. He is not ashamed of you, Hebrews 2 just because you're tempted. He's not ashamed to call you brethren. He loves you. He stands ready to help you as your advocate and high priest. Run to him. Run to his word. And find the ability to honor God in your life. Are God's people ever tempted by Satan to distrust God's caring goodness? So was Jesus. Are they ever tempted to presume on God's mercy and run into danger without warrant? So also was Jesus. Are they ever tempted to commit some one great private sin for the sake of some seeming great advantage? So also was Jesus. Are they ever tempted to listen to some misapplication of Scripture as an excuse for doing wrong? So also was Jesus. He is just the Savior that attempted people require. Let them flee to him for help and spread before him all their troubles. They will find his ear ever ready to hear and his heart ever ready to feel. He can understand their sorrows. Again, so helpful from J.C. Ryle. Run. Christ, let's pray. Father, we are a tempted people, and God, we confess, we confess that God, sometimes, maybe oftentimes, God, we believe the lie instead of the truth. We believe that the lie that temptation perpetuating is better, oh God, than what you have already said in your word. God, we confess that sometimes we run into sin and we don't even think a whole lot about it. We run too quickly into it. We give in to angry outbursts. We give in to the lust of our hearts. We give in to angling ourselves so that we look good and rob you of glory own and own and own these temptations God we confess that we, we God we know we know that we cannot do this on our own God we know that there's no power in our words God we know we confess that the power is in your word alone. God, what you have already said is sufficient to help us to know you 
and to know your word and to respond rightly in obedience, Lord. How we confess that we need the help of Christ, our advocate, our great high priest, the one who sits at your right hand as our representative. God, as Christ sits at your right hand, so do we. As Christ sits at the throne of grace, so do we. Oh God, may we run to Christ to find help in our time of need. Better. Help us, God, to remember that Jesus is better. God, help us to take the sword of the Spirit. God, and just make war against our sin, our selfishness, the desires to be self-fulfilled. Oh God, work in our hearts. Help us to respond. You call us to respond. We ask and pray all these things in Christ's great name. Amen. It's fitting that we would stand together.